Welcome to Thoroughly Equipped, a podcast for women where we compare the popular women's ministry teachings, books, conferences, Bible studies, etc. to scripture. Our focus is 2 Timothy 3.16-17, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Welcome back to another episode of Thoroughly Equipped. I'm your host, Mel Batost, and I praise God that you are joining me today. If you are new, welcome. This episode is part two of my critique on Sarah Young's Jesus Calling for Teens, 50 Devotions to Grow in Your Faith. Uh, last week, I went through some of her devotions with the intent to show you that, um, you and your teen just how much better scripture is to bring us to an understanding and knowledge of God the Son. Now in these next two episodes, I hope to show how scripture is, of course, not only better, but how the Christ from scripture differs from Sarah Young's Christ. Now I want to look again at the introduction to remind us of her purpose in writing this devotional. So I will read the full introduction again, but interject as I go along. All right, quote, Jesus calls us to trust him at all times, trust him in all circumstances, trust him with all our heart. Scripture says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5 ESV. The Bible is the only perfect word of God without errors. I work hard to keep my devotional writings consistent with the unchanging truths of God's word, end quote. So, yes, it is perfect, it is without errors, but is scripture sufficient? Do our teens need this devotional to thoroughly equip them for the good works God has prepared for them to walk in? 2 Timothy three sixteen to 17 Ephesians 2.10 And is it all we need for life and godliness? 1 Peter 1.3. Or do our teens need to implement Sarah Young's devotions with scripture to trust, grow, and mature in Christ? All right, quote, I have written from the perspective of Jesus speaking to help readers feel more personally connected with him. So the first person singular, I, me, my, mine, always refers to Jesus. You refers to you, the reader. I've included scripture references after each reading. Words from the scriptures, some paraphrased, some quoted, are indicated in italics. The devotions in this book are meant to help you trust Jesus more and more. When you're tired, when things are going wrong, and even on your best days, whisper these four short words. I trust you, Jesus. When you do this, you release things into his control. This is a great way to sit close to him and grow in your faith. End quote page 5. Now, the Word of God causes His children to trust, know, and obey Him more. For if we love Him, we keep His commandments, John fourteen fifteen. We do not need to say, I trust you, Jesus, to release things into His control. He is already in control of all things, as Scripture says, that the Father has given Christ authority over all things in heaven and on earth. 
John 17.2, Matthew 28.18. We need to have faith that he is in control over all things. And there is a difference. One assumes we are in control and need to release it so he may have it, while the other is acknowledging that we are not in control, Christ is, and we then trust and rely on him as we pursue self-control, giving him proper glory in and for all things. Now, the first devotion we'll look at is titled, A New You. Quote, I came to earth, was crucified, and then rose from the grave so that I could create a new you. A you who isn't stuck in a boring routine, who doesn't worry about what others think, who isn't afraid to try new things. I want you to have an exciting life, full of adventure and challenge. I have lots of plans for you. I want you to do great things for my kingdom. First, though, you have to give me control of your old life. Let me have your old worries, your old struggles, your old temptations and sins. I will throw them all away so that I can work in your life, end quote, page eight. Okay, there's quite a few things in this devotion that we need to look at. First, did Jesus die so that your teen wouldn't be stuck in a boring routine so they won't worry about what others think and so they won't be afraid to try new things? And second, does Jesus need control of our old life? How much authority and sovereignty does this Christ have if he needs us to give up our worries, struggles, temptations, and sins for him to work in our lives? And third, what kind of life does the Christ from Scripture want us to have? So let's look at the first uh, question. Why did Christ die? Scripture tells us that Christ died because the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Our sins, our teen sins, make us guilty before God in which we are to pay with our lives. This is what we owe God. Yet, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, John 3.16. That while we and our teens were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, Romans 5.10. By making Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5.21. By taking on flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, Hebrews 2.14. So from scripture, we see that Christ died for our sins, so we and our teens might become the righteousness of God, and through his death, he defeated the devil. This is the gospel. He died so we might have eternal life, not just an exciting life, one full of adventure. Now let's see, does Christ want our teens to give up control? What does Christ want for your teen? Christ desires that our teens be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time, 1 Timothy 2, 4-6. He wants our teens to trust in him. Christ himself says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? John eleven twenty five to 26 
And for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Romans 5, 6-11 He wants our teens to reject sin, reminding them that they were united with Christ in their baptism so that they may walk in newness of life. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism un into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now we have died with Christ. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So Christ doesn't want control of our teens' old lives. He wants our teens' old self to be crucified. And neither does Christ need our teens to give up control. Again, he has authority over all flesh given to him by the Father, John seventeen two. He has already done and is doing all the work to save and sanctify us. For it is God who works in us and our teens, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, Philippians two thirteen. Christ died because sin rules over us and our children, because we are Adam's children, Romans 5:12. It's our nature. Our biggest problems aren't that we can't get in or that we can get into a boring routine or that we worry about what others think, though that is a sin, or that we may fear to try new things, but our problem is that this nature that we are born in, a sinful one, brings death and separates us from God, our creator. God, in his grace and mercy, sent his son to live a perfect life and to be the sacrifice for our sins, so we might be the righteousness of God in him and present our bodies dead to sin and alive in Christ, crucifying our flesh daily, presenting ourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and our members as instruments of righteousness to God, Romans 6.13. 
This is not guarantee an ex- exciting life full of adventure or accomplishing even great plans in his kingdom, at least by the world's standards. These are not promised to us, but he does promise suffering, suffering, trials, and persecution, John sixteen thirty three. We live in a fallen world and in sinful flesh. In this side of eternity, we will constantly be battling the world and our flesh. This is what our children have to deal with. Also, Christ does not just take our worries, struggles, temptations, and sins and just throw them away. He takes them as if he committed them. 2 Corinthians 5.21 And then on the cross takes the punishment of the wrath of God for these sins. Your child's sins? Your sins, my sins, they're all placed on him and he takes our punishment. This may seem like I'm squabbling over this, but the idea that Christ merely throws these away belittles how evil our sin actually is to a holy God who must punish it, not merely throw it away. It belittles Christ and what he came to accomplish as if it were a simple thing. Instead, we read in scripture how Christ humbled himself, Philippians 2.8, becoming our servant, willingly submitting himself to the cross and to death so we might live. So there is a huge, huge difference. And finally, for this devotion, what kind of life does Christ want for his people? In Matthew 28, we have what is known as the Great Commission given to us by our Lord. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That was verses 16 to 20. So Christ wants his people to make disciples. This can come in many shapes and forms. It can look like a teen deciding to go on a mission field to spread the gospel. I mean, that is quite an adventure. It can look like a teen going to college or traveling the world. Again, a life of adventure and challenge and spreading the gospel there. Or it can look like a teen working at McDonald's, making friends, sharing the gospel there. It can even look like a young adult getting married, having a regular paying job, raising up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6, 4, aspiring to live quietly and to mind their own affairs and to work with their own hands as the apostles instructed them so that they may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 to 12. Or it could even look like suffering, trials, tribulations, persecutions, and yes, even death for those who choose to follow Christ. Our teens must realize this and count the cost to follow him, Luke fourteen twenty five to 33. The Christ of scripture does not promise an exciting life full of adventure and challenge, but he does promise persecution and suffering for our faith, John fifteen eighteen to 21. All right, The next devotion is titled, The Gift of Your Time. Quote, set aside a special time every day just to be with me. It can be early in the morning or just before you go to sleep. It can be soon after you get home from school. 
but don't let other things crowd out our time together. Then look for a quiet place where you can relax in my presence. Perhaps it's a cozy spot in the den or in your room, or maybe it's outside under a tree. Find a peaceful place for us to meet and look forward to our time together. In quote, page 20. Now, there was no encouragement in this devotion to read God's word as spending time with him, but instead our teens are encouraged to quote unquote relax in his presence. Now, how does one do this? What does this look like? What is Sarah Young's Jesus telling our children to do? Of course, she were if she were to encourage our children to go to scripture, that would probably defeat the need for her devotions, wouldn't it? <laughs> I am all for teens spending time with the Lord. This should be a discipline. But does that merely look like finding a peaceful place to quote unquote relax in his presence? What about suggesting they find a peaceful place and study and read his word? I liken Sarah Young's Jesus suggestion to that of two people meeting to just sit and relax. Now that's okay. Go ahead, do that. But most time people converse, they ask questions, they listen, they respond. I believe when we go to Christ through the scriptures, that is exactly what happens. Christ speaks through his word, mind you, and then we meditate and respond. That is a much more productive use of our time with him. Let's train our teens to be like Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. Luke ten thirty nine. While Martha was anxious and troubled over many things, Christ said that one thing is necessary, and Mary had chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And that was to listen to his teaching. The same teaching that he gave to Mary is found in Scripture. We do not see anywhere in Scripture Jesus encouraging us to, quote-unquote, relax in his presence. Even in his priestly prayer, Jesus does not pray that we relax in his presence, but that we be sanctified in God's word as it is truth. John seventeen seventeen. All right, the next devotion is titled The Gift of Your Time, which is the same title as the last one, <laughs> which I found interesting. But anyway, um, quote, this world is obsessed with action, action heroes, action movies, action adventures. You have to be busy. You have to be on the go all the time. There's no time to just sit and be still. At least that's what the world tells you. But when you come to me, you are not just sitting and being still. You are doing the most important thing of all, letting me be Lord of your life. As you spend time with me, my blessings flow over you like streams of living water. I give you blessings of peace, love, and the sheer joy of being in my presence. In quote, page 30. Now, Is our sitting and being still actually letting Christ be Lord of our life? Sitting and being still is doing nothing. (laughs) Now, maybe Sarah Young's Jesus is being spiritual here, claiming that our spirits need do nothing. But I don't think that's the case as Sarah Young's Jesus has contrasted sitting still to the physical actions of quote-unquote being busy or quote-unquote on the go. Her Jesus equates sitting still to letting Christ be Lord of our lives. But what does the Holy Spirit say is the way Christ is Lord of our lives? Well, one, I want to point out that scripture doesn't give one a choice over Christ's lordship. He is Lord. 
It's just whether we confess with our mouth that he is Lord, or do the opposite, by denying he is Lord. Whether one denies or confesses doesn't change the fact that he just is Lord. As Christ himself has said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Matthew twenty eight eighteen. When we confess that he is our Lord, it means we desire to obey him, obey his commandments, and we pledge allegiance to his authority. There is just something about Sarah Young's Jesus, almost as if he's pleading with us to quote unquote, let him be Lord of our, of our and our teens lives. As if he's limited in what he can accomplish when our teens do not let him be Lord. And two, Jesus himself addresses what it means to call him Lord in Luke 6, 46 to 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. The one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, it immediately fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So when we confess Jesus as our Lord, we confess with our mouths that we will obey his commands. This involves action, <laughs> as we do not merely wish to be hearers of his word, but doers, James 1.22. Alright, the next devotion is titled, Take a Break from Judging. Quote, you can get into a habit of judging. You judge the, sit the situation and that situation, this person and that person. You judge yourself. You even judge the weather. So much of your time is spent making judgments as if it were your main job in life. Actually, your main job is to worship me. So forget about judging and just come to me. I am the creator and you are my creation. I am the shepherd and you are my sheep. I am the potter and you are my clay. Let me have my way in your life. It's not your place to judge, not even yourself. Judging is my job, in quote, page 34. So Sarah includes scripture references that uh, have actually no reference to judging at all. These would be John 17, 3, Romans 9, 20 to 21, 1 Timothy 6, 15. And John 17, 3 has to do with eternal life, knowing God through Jesus Christ not judging. <laughs> Romans 9, 20 to 21 talks about God showing mercy on whom he chooses to. And 1 Timothy six fifteen states that Jesus will at the proper time display his appearing. So just a side note, many of her scripture references did not support the teachings that her Jesus was giving. This is just one example. But moving on, does Christ want us to stop judging? Or does he want us to stop judging a certain way? Matthew 7, 1 contradicts what Sarah Young's Jesus instructs us to do, to, quote, forget about judging and come to him. Instead, we read that the Christ from scripture instructs us to judge, to have right judgment. We are to judge righteously our own sins in our own flesh, so we may judge righteously the sins of others. So let's read what Jesus actually says. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment 
you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Matthew 7, 1-5. So as we read this, we can see it's about hypocrisy. Judging others without first judging ourselves. Jesus is instructing us to have judgment, to ju- but to judge righteously ourselves first. To repent and remove our log or sin so that we may see clearly to judge our brother and help him remove his speck. Sarah Young has written instructions that are contrary to what Christ says. As Sarah Young says, Jesus says to stop judging and as it is not our place to judge, not even ourselves. In the next devotion is titled, Come to Me, in which Sarah Young's Jesus gives insight into why some people do not want to go to Jesus. Quote, Some people are afraid to come to me when they are hurting or tired. They are afraid that I will ask even more of them. When they've already worked so hard, they can barely move. All of this makes them want to hide from me, end quote, page 42. Now, Christ was very clear about why people do not come to him. It's because they do not belong to him. In John six thirty-five to 45, Jesus tells the crowds that followed him why people come to him. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And John six sixty five, we read, I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So we see it is the Father that draws people. Those that have heard and learned from the Father come to Christ. Now, if one claims they cannot go to Christ because they fear Christ will give them more to do when they are so tired, it's because they do not know or have not been told the gospel, that no amount of work commends us to him. They are without knowledge of God, making him to be like one of them, as though he would call them to work harder. 
Instead, scripture says, all our works done apart from Christ are vanity. They're worthless. Ecclesiastes 1, 14 and 1 Corinthians 15, 58. That we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Isaiah 64, 6. They toil in their own works with their with the desire to be self-righteous, refusing to go to Christ. As Christ says, come to me all who who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. If our te- teens fear that God demands more of them, let us tell them the truth. Yes, he does. He did. Those who feel the weight of the burden of the law rightly understand it and its standards to be holy as God is holy. Leviticus 11:44 and 45, 19:2, 1 Peter 1:15-16, among other verses. Let them grasp this and then give them the good news that Christ did not come to abolish the law, but to perfectly fulfill it for us. Matthew 5.17 So we no longer have to labor, but come to the Lord of the Sabbath as our rest. Mark 2.27-28 Let us bring this Sabbath to our teens. The next devotion is titled, Be Real. Quote, it saddens me to watch my children build up walls between themselves and the people around them. They pretend they don't have the same struggles and problems as everyone else. It even happens at church. You put on your Sunday clothes and your Sunday smiles, and you tell everyone you are just fine, while inside you are full of fear and worry and loneliness. But you don't dare to say that, because what would people think? The best way to tear down these walls is to focus on my presence with you. Talk to me, worship me, delight in me, and you will feel safe enough to be real with others. When your main focus is on me, you can stop worrying about what other people think. When you will be able to smile, then you will be able to smile at others with my joy and love them with my love. End quote, page 46. Now, Sarah Young is trying to encourage our children to share their burdens, especially those of fear, worry, and loneliness. Sarah Young's Jesus advises our teens to focus on his presence, quote, talk to him, worship him, delight in him, and they will feel safe enough to be real with others, you know, quote. In this devotion, Sarah gives three scripture references that do relate to fellowship with the brothers, but not in the way her Jesus states. She includes three scripture references that we'll look at shortly, and these are 1 John 1, 5-7, Philippians 4, 8, and Exodus 33, 14. Now in 1 John 1, 5-7, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle John expresses to us how we have fellowship with God and fellowship with others. And he doesn't say, talk to me, worship me, delight in me. These are good, but not how we have fellowship with or share burdens with the brethren. Instead, we are informed that God is light in which there is no darkness. To say we have light, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, I get why she's encouraging this and uses this verse to support her instructions. She wants to point out that everyone has struggles and problems, though I would of course quibble with the use of struggles and problems, as sin is what's being talked about in First John. So why doesn't Sarah Young's Jesus 
just say sin. But to have fellowship with one another is to walk in the light and practice the truth. If our teens are talking, worshiping, and delighting in a false Jesus, we are not walking in light and will not have fellowship with the brethren. If we keep reading in 1 John, we'll see what it means to walk in darkness, which means to not practice the truth. That is to say that we have no sin. To not look at our own thoughts and behaviors, to walk as if nothing as if we do nothing wrong is to call God a liar and the word does not dwell in us. Christ instructs us to share our burdens, Galatians 6, 1-5, to walk in the light and confess our sins and to be united with our brothers and sisters in Christ through his teachings through the gospel, 1 Corinthians 1, 10. So what unites us is not that we, quote, have the same struggles and problems as everyone else, but that we have the same Christ. The other verses she references encourage our teens to, of course, quote, put into practice all that we have learned from Paul. Philippians 4, 8-9. And to cry out like Moses to let us know God and his ways. Exodus thirteen forty four. Nowhere in her scripture reference verses does it say that by talking to Christ and delighting in him and merely worshiping him, will cause our teens to put into practice Christ's instructions. I want to be very clear here. Talking, worshiping, and delighting in the Christ from Scripture will cause us to walk in the light. But that's the key. It's the Christ we find in Scripture that does this. That is where our teens will learn what Christ wants them to put in practice. And that is where our teens will come to know God in His ways. There is no instruction by Sarah Young's Christ to go to scripture to find out how to have fellowship, share burdens, and tear down walls. Instead, her Jesus just tells us to focus on his presence. When they do that, they will feel safe to be real enough with others. Not if it's a false Jesus, it won't. Now, I keep thinking of the many followers of Jesus who had the pleasure of being physically in his presence, talking, walking, and delighting in him, following him for what they could get from him. And yet, when it came to what he taught, that's where the fellowship ended. The words that he spoke are spirit and life. His words either draw his disciples to him or separate them from him. John six sixty to 71 Again, it is Christ who unites us, not us having the same struggles or problems. The next devotion is titled, Reflecting Me. Quote, see my beauty all around you in nature, in true friendship and love. I am the great artist and all true beauty is a reflection of me. I am working to make you more and more beautiful bit by bit. I am clearing out the clutter inside you, the clutter of stuff, of selfishness, of the world. This makes room for my spirit to take charge of your life. Help me in this work by letting go of anything I choose to take away. Whether I leave you with a lot or a little, just trust me. I know what you truly need, and I promise to give you that abundantly. End quote, page 48. Now, Jesus is clearing out sin, but at the same time, it's also true that Jesus already cleared out our sin on the cross. Christ said, it is finished, 
John 19.30. He took them, becoming sin who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, and became the propitiation for all of our sins, 1 John 2.2, past and future. God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Psalm 103, 10-12 Praise God, this is what Christ did. We are not called to let go of anything Jesus chooses to take away. We are called to trust in the gospel, John 3.16, that he took our sins away, and we are called to obey Christ, John 14.21-26. This is our sanctification. The apostles urge our teens in the Lord Jesus that as they received from the apostles how they ought to walk and please God, just as they are doing if they know Christ, that they should do so more and more, for they know what instructions the apostles gave them through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, their sanctification, that they abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of them know how to control their own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who did not know God that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter, because the Lord is avenger in all things. For God has not called them for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to them. First Thessalonians 4, 1-8 The Holy Spirit is working to change all of God's children. Attributes of God such as holiness, right judgment, faithfulness, truth, love, steadfastness, peace, self-control, and all the other fruits of the Spirit are a work of the Holy Spirit done within us and our teens to make us more like Christ. And it all starts with faith, faith in the gospel. It is all God's work, and He is the one who deserves all the glory. And this is a great place to stop for today with God's glory. I hope I've shown how the Christ from Scripture is a better Savior who saves us not from, quote, a you who is stuck in a boring routine, who worries about what others think, who is afraid to try new things, end quote, but is a Savior who saves us from our sins and the wrath of God, that the Jesus of Scripture is one that has all authority, even over our lives and our teens' lives, One who does not need us to make him Lord, as God the Father has given him all authority in heaven and on earth. He is a better teacher who calls us to judge, but to judge rightly, starting with ourselves and then others. He tells us why people don't come to him, not because they are so tired and fear that he will ask more of them, but because the Father does not draw them. He tells us how to walk in fellowship with the brethren and has dealt with our sins, freeing us from them and giving us the Holy Spirit to cause us to walk and reflect the attributes of God. The Christ that we find in Scripture is just so much better. He speaks the truth with authority, Luke 4.32. In his high priestly prayer, he prays for those the Father gave him and is not just those but all who would believe in him through the apostles' words. 
This includes you and I and any of our children who study and read the scriptures written by the Holy Spirit through the prophets and the apostles, trusting and obeying the Christ who is found in them. So, until next time, I pray you are prompting your teens to trust in Christ, the Christ who saves completely, who has all authority, who needs nothing from us and gives everything to us, works everything in us, and will one day be forever with us. I pray you are in God's word. Thank you.